Uh, we're just dealing with, chat, with verses 1 to 9 of chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. And that's why I called this uh, particular, uh, this lesson, Daniel's Excellent Spirit. And I think we can learn something here because before we understand why Daniel was in that lion's den, we need to understand what, what the criteria is for persecution. Uh, why was it that Daniel was, was attacked the way he was by these, by these leaders? And uh, you'll see very much here because of his spirit, because of his, uh, just his great work ethic and so forth. Uh, it, it was quite an interesting thing uh, when you look at this. But I'll, I'll look at the opening paragraph. It says, here we see another revelation of character in the world empires. And of course, we, we, we looked at that last time, how that chapter 2 dealt with the structure of the empires. And then from then on, from 3 to 6, we're looking at the character of the empires and different aspects of that. And it says, we, we have seen blatant sponsored idolatry in these chapters. We've seen overbearing pride. We've seen a desecration of that which is holy. We look at Belshazzar using the holy vessels of God. Um, chapter 6 shows us the ultimate sacrilege where all worship is outlawed and the king sets himself as the only potentate to which man ought to pray. Now that's quite something. Even Nebuchadnezzar, he had asked them to, and when they hear the sound of the music, bow down to the idol. But he did not stop them from bowing down to other idols or to their own gods. But now in this particular chapter, he's taking it right to the final end where you can't have any other God but for, for me. You pray to me and me alone. And I thought that was quite interesting. And so these are characteristic of it, the Antichrist kingdom as well. And I just want to read this, these uh, passages here uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there coming a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That is a, a characteristic of these empires. And there, there we see it way back with Darius in Daniel chapter 6. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told ye these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And of course, I know that uh, there's been a lot of talk about what that's talking about. But what we do know is that there's a, res a restraining power that's keeping the Antichrist from actually taking uh, power over this earth. Uh, you can see Satan throughout the history has at different times tried to use different men to exalt himself to that particular place. But every time he gets knocked down. Now, why is that? I used to have this uh, booklet. And I, I'm going to look for it. Uh, uh, a dear saint of God in my first ministry, she was 92 years old, gave me this book. It was a little booklet. It was called We Have a Guardian. And it was stories of Second World War testimonies of people in battle and how that supernatural things took place to keep the Germans from winning that battle. 
over and over, and some, were just, some would just blow your mind. And, and I keep losing it. This is probably the third time I've lost that book, and I think the devil hates it. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to find it again. So pray for me on that. If, if, and I've looked online. I can't find it anywhere. And so it's called We Have a Guardian. If you can find it, let me know. The wonderful stories of, of wartime and how God, even, even when Winston Churchill would call a day of prayer, and how God would change the whole direction of that battle and the air, the wind, and so forth because of the, the zeppelins coming in and so forth across the channel and, and how God actually gave victory because of that. And so when I look at the restrainer, the restrainer, you know, the Bible tells us that first of all, we ought to pray for those in authorities and for kings and, and so forth. And then you know what it says? That we may live a quiet and peaceable life. So what that tells me is, is, that the, is that the church, the praying people of God, are having an impact on the governments of this world. Amen? You think about that. You know, the reason why I think even now that we're not a lot worse than we could have been through this whole COVID thing, through all these mandates, through what the government wanted to do, is because of God's people. I really believe with all my heart, I do. I, I believe that we can affect elections with our prayer. I believe we can change governments with our prayer, amen? We, we are the restrainer, the power of the Holy Spirit working through us through our prayer and then in our land, he is restraining the Antichrist from coming and taking power. And he's done that for centuries already. But the time's gonna come after the rapture, immediately the four horsemen will ride, amen? And the, these, these ec economic and military and all these different powers are going to be loosed and given to the Antichrist because there's no more praying people. No more work of the Holy Spirit in that respect of restraining that tide of evil. We still have that now. Praise God for that. <laughs> Don't ever think we're in the tribulation. Amen. We're not. And in fact, that's why Paul is actually comforting these people. He says, don't let anybody by letter or whatever shake you uh, because, hey, this is what needs to happen first. Amen. And so he says, just be confident, trust God and keep moving forward. And so it says, and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Amen. Yeah. That, we've got the victory. Jesus Christ has already won this battle. Amen. We just got to walk in that victory every day. And so uh, it goes on to say, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Amen. That's powerful stuff. I mean, that, that, it takes some time to work through all of that. But folks, that kingdom, that king, that antichrist, that characteristic is being revealed to us in the book of Daniel. And we need to take note of these things as we go through, because the Lord is trying to teach us, this is what to expect. This is what's coming. Amen. And so we got to be ready for that. Um, so we know that this story of Daniel and the lion's den for believers, it's different than on the main stream of, of empires here. Because the fact of the matter is we're going up in the rapture. Amen. We're, we're, we're going to be done with all of this stuff. And that's, that's a blessing. 
But anyways, we can learn something. And I think uh, even the people, all the lost of this world, have even know some semblance of the story of Daniel in the lion's den. They, they, they don't maybe know what it means, but they've heard about it. Um, it's a story of conviction and its cost. It's a story of persecution and the protection of the Lord. The end of this story is about faith and learning to do right, trusting God, knowing that we have already won the battle in Christ. What a powerful testimony this is that Daniel gave us in Daniel chapter 6. So I'm going to go through this, and we're going to look through this step by step. The first thing I want to look at is the delegation of authority. The delegation of authority. So notice in verse number 1 it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. And I thought that was interesting, because these statements here, they're not put in the Bible just to waste space. They're in there for a reason, amen? And that's why I wanted to look at that a little bit. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, or the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now you read that, you say, well, what's the big deal? Think about what he's saying here. The king had in his mind to set Daniel over the whole realm. What is that? What's the realm? Royalty. Kingdom. Darius wanted to make Daniel the king. He wanted to put him in a place of power above everybody else in that whole land. Guess what? It never came to pass. Did it? He had a great position. He was underneath the king. But Darius wanted to step back and say, you know what, this Daniel, he's got such things going for him here. He could do a better job <laughs> looking over all this than I can. But guess what? The Lord didn't let him. The Lord didn't let him. In fact, within this context, you're thinking, Lord, what, what part do you have in this? That through this whole event and these events that take place, how that the Lord kept back Daniel from becoming the first ruler of the kingdom. Isn't that interesting? So letter A, Darius was a powerful leader of the Mede-Persian alliance. This is not the same Darius that's mentioned later on that actually gives the, the edict for Jerusalem to continue building the temple uh, because we know that they were sent out from Cyrus uh, to go back and be restored to Israel. They stopped building and there were three kings involved. There was Cyrus, there was Darius, and then there was Artaxerxes. And see, these three were all, giving, all gave decrees within the time that Jerusalem was rebuilt. The first one was to send them back. The second one was to continue building because they stopped. And the third one was to send Nehemiah to complete the walls. Amen. And so three kings were involved in giving edicts to rebuild Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I mean, heathen kings. We're talking about kings that, that, um, that were, were not born again. They, they, they were not saved. But yet God used them, three kings, to bring God's work forward. 
That's why the Bible says he holds the hearts of the kings in his hand. And as a river of water turneth it whithersoever he will. Amen. So very interesting. But that's not the same Darius, by the way. This is a different Darius. All right. And so he was a powerful leader. Now we know the Median and Persian Empire uh, was actually had two major kings here. We had Darius and then we have Cyrus. But at the beginning here, actually, Darius had more power. And then later on, after Darius died, Cyrus came in and became the prominent king within this particular alliance. All right. So that's why he's the one that gave the the decree. All right. So letter B, Darius appointed a delegation of 120 princes with three presidents over them to rule the whole kingdom. So when a king would conquer another kingdom. Can you imagine this? Going in there with your army. Now, you, what are you going to do? Just sit on the throne and say, okay, let it work? <laughs> you know? No. You're sitting there saying, how in the world am I going to govern this mess after we just came in and destroyed this thing? You know? So immediately what he does, this is what I need to do. It's called Delegation. Delegation. In the scripture, it's a very powerful thing. Uh, Eric reminded me of this last week. He talked about delegation. He says, Pastor, you need to delegate more. <laughs> Amen. I said, you know what? You're right. I need to delegate. You can't carry it all yourself. And you know what? Darius believed that as well. Darius believed that, hey, I can't carry this. I can't do all of this work. We need to delegate to other people. And so, so what he did is he had three presidents. And under these three presidents, he had 120 princes. Then, of course, underneath 120 princes, you'd have counselors and captains, and you'd have all kinds of different men in there. But it's a huge government process here. <coughs> and so <coughs> it was a challenge. And so delegation was the key to bring this kingdom into order. Now, I, I say that for a reason, because I want to talk about delegation. And I think it's important for us to understand this concept. Number one, delegation requires the character to perform the task, okay? This is interesting because the Bible set, tells us that, that, it was, that it pleased Darius to set Daniel as the first president and so forth and to set these things in order this way. Now, the word pleased means to be good or pleasing or to appoint certain persons or things because of their character and performance. I wish I could send this definition to our country leaders today because what we are today is in the middle of a whole bunch of identity politics. That means the people running our country are not the best people to do it. The people that are running our country don't have the, the character to perform the task. They are just simply chosen because they're a woman, maybe because they're black, maybe because um, uh, gender identity, you know, but all I know is it's like, oh, I got, I got, and this is what it was pointed out by, I guess it was Pierre. He said, or somebody else that I'd listened to, I forget. I listened to a lot of guys. And so the whole cabinet <clears throat> is made up of half women, half men, the liberal cabinet. The problem is the liberal party is not half men, half women. And so even that way, it's not balanced. There's more men than women in the Liberal Party, but yet still in the cabinet, there's half women and half men, and that's because they just want to have what you call identity politics. Not necessarily the best 
the best uh, character or the best prepared to do the job. In fact, uh, they did, a, they did a, a scan across all the cabinet and they realized that less than half of them have any business experience whatsoever. And yet they're balancing your budget. <laughs> you know, they're, they're running our lives. Amen. So what I'm saying is this. Now that's one way or another. There's probably nothing you can do about it other than vote next time. Amen. And pray. But what I'm telling you is this. Darius, heathen king, understood that if I'm going to delegate, I need to get the best people. And Daniel was a Jew. <clears throat> Daniel was not from that land. But even Darius understood that Daniel is the best man I've got. Because it's character. Amen? Not identity. He wasn't looking for a Jew to take the position. <laughs> he was looking for the best man to take the position. And that's the way we ought to operate in our jobs and our businesses and so forth. It's not just about partiality. It's not just about what we want to accomplish as far as what, what message we're sending to the world. It's about who is best able to do the job. And what will happen then, our young men and our women and our churches will begin to say, you know what? If I want to have a good job or a good position, I better have some good character. <laughs> Amen? And not just rely upon my gender or my race or anything like that. It's going to really be based upon how well I give myself to learning and to being a, a proper individual. So I can do things and I can be a blessing to somebody. Amen? So delegation is vital, but it's only, it only works when you do it properly, when you have the right character within that. I do the same thing in the church, you know? It's always like that. You, you bring someone in who has the character to perform the task. Not just because someone wants to. There's a lot of people that want to do things. Amen? I, don't, I don't, hope I don't disappoint you there. <laughs> Amen? But I'll tell you something. If you just do what God wants you to do, he will promote you to be what he wants you to be. Amen? So don't even worry about it. It's nothing to be concerned about. And so delegation requires a character to perform the task. And so number two, delegation requires accountability. Accountability. And that's one of the reasons, one of the phrases I see here is that the princes might give accounts unto them. So there's an accounting happen. So you got three presidents here of whom he made Daniel the first so he's already just underneath the king Darius. He's just underneath it. How much higher can he make Daniel? <laughs> Yet he was going to make him higher than the first president over 120 princes. That's pretty powerful. And so that the princes, these 120, would give account to these three presidents. That's what delegation is. So when you have someone in the business, they're the, in charge. It doesn't mean that the top guy isn't working. In fact, the top guy probably is working a lot harder than the bottom guys. I remember uh, my dad, you know, Brother Swatsky just met my dad. He didn't know he was my dad, but now he knows that he's my dad. Amen. <laughs> he called me. I just met your dad. <laughs> Amen. What a blessing. Anyways, my dad, he owns a business and, and I, I watch him. Because he maybe had grade six education in Mexico, uh, came over here with 10 cents in his pocket. Him and his brother, twin brothers, they came over here, took the bus. They lost their luggage in Kansas City. They didn't even know English language. 
It just happened to be, just happened to be in Kansas how someone was there that knew low German. Low German, not high German, low German. And this person communicated with them, took them home, fed them, called the bus depot, found the luggage, got it back, brought them back to the bus depot, sent them to Canada. (laughs) It's my dad's testimony. So he gets over here. He's got 10 cents in his pocket between him and his brother. So what do they do? Well, let's work. That's what he does. And he started with a gas company and different companies like that. He did some welding and so forth. Uh, they would take him, uh, pick him, take him in the vehicle, drop him off in an area, give him a shovel and say, dig holes. And so he'd be digging down to gas lines all day long. That's all he would do. He remember one time he was in Winnipeg on Main Street. Oh, in fact, one time in Winnipeg, you know, Main Street, my dad tunneled underneath Main Street with a shovel twice. You won't jail him too easy. <laughs> Think about that. Now, I, I've, I know what uh, underground boring is, and I've done a lot of that. I've, I've been around that. But they have machines to do stuff like this. But th- we're talking about getting under there and making a hole that you can put a pipe through while vehicles, and he says, I can feel the vehicles and the rumbling of them as I'm digging underneath. So this is how he started, digging holes and so forth. And so what he does is he, he has the character to keep on working. Just keep on working. Just keep doing it. Uh, little by little, you put it together. They, they saved up for a car. When they got a car together, they started living in the car. And he says he remembered they, they had that car parked in the back alley, and they were watching families sitting in the backyard eating watermelon. And they were just drooling, you know, because basically they'd live off of sardines and crackers. That was their meals. That's how they would live. <laughs> Put gas in the car, got a car. And, and so he started to work and he started to build himself. Then he bought himself a tractor, bought himself a backhoe and just started to do that. And now he's got a multi-million dollar business. Six-year-old, six, six, grade six education. <laughs> he can write a check. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you understand that? And you know what? When I go to his job, to the to shop there and I, and I watch him, how he conducts himself, and I ask him questions, and I listen to him. In fact, our boys just got, went into business together, uh, our two sons. I says, you got to talk to my dad. And sure enough, we got ourselves a, a video thing going, and my dad just starts telling him, this is what you do, this is what you do. And one thing he says is this, if you don't want to risk anything, you won't make anything. There's some people too scared to risk anything, so they'll never go forward. Amen. So here's okay, we'll risk it. That was the first decision, risk it. Amen. And so they did that. And they began to give uh, other advice and so forth. And I've listened over the years at different things that he would tell us uh, about business. And I, I know I'm not a businessman as such, and would never be as you know where he's at. But I think maybe it's helped a little bit within the ministry and so forth. And uh, but one thing I always tell people. I remember we were down at our, our shop and a guy came in and he says, oh, I need one of these bolts. And he just, you know, it's like a bolt. I mean, <laughs> and my dad is like, oh, there's one over there. I looked at him, you know where a bolt is? And sure enough, he went back there and he walked to the back shop and all the different 
things and you know it's we're not it's not cataloged here it's not at a computer where he puts it in and says there's the bolt he just knew where the bolt was now why is that it's accounting when we would build it when we would bid a job you know you'd have to buy all materials here and materials are expensive so Basically, when you're bidding a job, you're taking into account all the materials that you have to purchase in order to get this job price to, to the people that are wanting it. And what he would do in his mind, he would go through all the materials he would have lying in the backyard and all the pipes and the different uh, things like that. And he said, oh, we don't need that much. And he would just keep cutting and cutting. And then when he put his price in, <laughs> he'd get the job. But a lot of the guys, they just waste. I mean, we were looking uh talking about even framing today with an airdry you go to some of those garbage things there's full sheets of plywood there's two by fours there's stuff you could build a house off the stuff they throw away i always say my dad would drive (laughs) he would never allow that he he would build a, a shed or something to put that wood in because he knew that that would give him the edge in the future amen See, that's accounting. So within this process of delegation is this aspect of accounting. This, these, these, these princes had to give account. So there's a responsibility on these guys, a responsibility to the presidents, to the princes. They're all supposed to know what's going on. You're supposed to know what you got. You're supposed to know. And folks, what a good lesson for us. You want to get ahead. You want to do well in your job. Don't be a slack person. Know what you got. Well, I'm just getting paid by the hour, and you always will with that attitude. You always will with that attitude. You know who's going to start getting better salaries and so forth? The ones that maybe work harder or more than what they're being paid to work. But you know who, you know, people, they usually say, this is how much you get paid, this is how much you get. You want any more? You give me more money. <laughs> Amen. How about you give 100% of what you got and let the wage catch up to it? Amen. That's good stuff, man. This is, I mean, we're, we're in business class. I'm sure you get Brother Swatsky up here and he'd give a whole new lesson on this stuff. But accountability. The Bible talks, now if we're not going to, the Bible says if you're not going to be faithful in that which is least, how are you going to be faithful with that, which is much? Amen. What he's talking about least is everything on this planet. Yeah. Your money, your job, everything you own, that's the least. What's the much? The gospel. Souls. Ministry. Amen. Lord says, if you can't be faithful in that, how are you ever going to reach people? How are you ever going to be used by God to do something great? Amen. We've got to become faithful in the least in this world. And stop these attitudes. The world has all kinds of dirty attitudes. We can't have that. The Christian, he ought to be the best worker on the job site, regardless of what wage you're getting. When they look at you, they say, man, they must pay you 60 bucks, 70 bucks an hour. And you say, no, I'm getting 10. Amen. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because you give them $100 worth, 
and it won't be long, you'll be getting $100 worth. Amen? But you keep giving them $10 worth, I'll guarantee you, your boss will never even get you up to 15. That's the way it works. Amen? <laughs> so this, this principle of accounting. We know that the Bible says in Romans 14, verse 12, it says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Same with these princes. You are going to meet God and give an account. Think about that. Wow. My time, my energy, my faithfulness, the things of God, the ministry, all the things I could have done and I didn't, and I'm going to give account to God. All the opportunities that I could have had and I squandered it because I didn't want to be faithful or maybe I put the least before the much. Amen. Luke 12, verse 42 says, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household? to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. You know, working for my dad, <laughs> he's taught me a lot because I look at sometimes these crews that are out there and say, man, my dad would eat your lunch. <laughs> you know what I mean? They got 10 guys, they're all standing there doing nothing. My dad would do with three guys what other people do with 20 sometimes. Because he knows that if there's too many guys, what's going to happen is they're always going to wait for the other guy to do it. But if there's only three guys, there's nobody else to count on, man. You've got to do it. And it's amazing how productive you can be when you know that if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. Yeah, amen. amen? It's true. So it isn't about always waiting, but I always tell my kids, you know, I'll just kind of throw it out there. My boys say, guys, could you put that garbage bag in the garage. Now, I know there's only one garbage bag. <laughs> Amen. And I got lots of guys. But I'm wondering which one of them is going to go get it. You know, sometimes maybe they don't. And then you know what I do? I get up. I just get up like this. Also, they can just, whew, they go. And I mean, not that I'm going to get them. What, what they're concerned about is that I get the garbage bag. Well, it's one thing to kind of wait a little while. <laughs> but they surely don't want dad to have to do what they themselves were told to do. Yeah. Amen. It's accountability. It's responsibility. And I think we need to teach our kids things like that. So here he says, Blessed is the servant whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Yeah. They should do it. Not intentions. Well, I always want to do this. One day I'm going to do. Well, that doesn't mean anything. What you want to do or your good intentions mean nothing. It's what you do. And the Lord will come and he will find us and, and he will find us doing something. Because we're not just going to be sitting there looking at the wall. We're all going to be doing something when Jesus Christ returns. And I wonder what he will find us doing. Amen. My goodness. Thinks about, I think about that with me as a pastor. I think of the, the great responsibility I have to look after a church. And I, I, and I know I've met a lot of pastors. And I know they've got different ways they do things. And I just can't get over this thing that I have to answer to God. I just can't get over that. So sometimes it, it, it requires me to 
make decisions that people don't understand or people don't like. You know? Folks, I know my preaching can get strong sometimes. I was praying this week and saying, Lord, you know, I don't know why you get into me sometimes like that. Why you put it so strong in my heart and that passion comes out. And he gave me a passage. He said, it was like he was saying, remember the Lord's Supper. You know what he said to his disciples? Tonight, one of you will betray me. Can you imagine being in a room with Jesus and him looking at you? Saying, tonight, one of you will betray me. That's, well, that's pulpit whipping. What did it make him do? What, what was the effect of that question? What is the effect of the preaching? Now, that's, that's my concern. <laughs> you know, it's one thing saying it. It's another thing, what is it doing? Now, I'll tell you what it does. The disciples, this is what they said. Is it I? That's powerful. Here you have a man who never would have. But he's asking himself, would it be me? It, could it be me? Is it I? I realize sometimes it seems very tough listening to a Bible preacher, especially when he's fighting the devil. I understand that. But Jesus knew what that was like. That night, the devil was in full force. And what he was doing, he was looking to his people and he was saying, you know what? There's a betrayal. And it's up to all of us to ask the question, is it I? Is it I? You understand that? Don't get, don't get caught up in whether it should happen or not. You could have said, Jesus, why did you have to do that? He did it. And so, what should be my response? I should say, Lord, is it I? And so what it does is it causes you to introspect. It doesn't cause you to look at everybody else. If that's what it's doing, then it's probably because there's something wrong with you. (laughs) Amen. Because initially it should cause you to look into your own heart and say, is there something wrong with me? Am I doing something wrong? And then you spend a little time with God and he confirms to your heart, no, you're, you're following, you're doing what I've asked you to do. You haven't done anything wrong. And you know what? You say, Whew, I'm not betraying Jesus tonight. Yeah. Hey. You know what I mean? He wants you to know that. He wants you to know that. And that's why sometimes I preach. And I, you know, folks, I know some people leave because, but they say, I, I don't like that. Well, Sure. <laughs> if I would have been there at the Lord's Supper, I would think, well, <laughs> maybe it's time to go home. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Folks, there's reasons why God allows these things. Let's just be right. Let's just be right. That's all we have to do. Uh, you know what really blows me away is how easy it is for us to get right. It's so easy. It's easy. I was looking at the passage there in Matthew chapter 18 when it tells you if your brother sin, go to them. Then it says, if he hear thee, hear thee, 
It doesn't say whether he jumps through the hoops. It doesn't say whether he says, oh, forgive me, forgive me. It doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> he says, but if he hears you or doesn't hear you, if he doesn't hear you, then bring back two witnesses. Yeah. And the Bible says, if he fails to hear them, tell it to the church. And if they don't hear the church, let them be as a publican and a sinner. Yeah. Isn't that powerful? I'm thinking, Lord, shouldn't they say sorry? If they say sorry, then, no, no, he says, if they're hearing you, you don't need to go to the next level. Yeah. And you know what I find sometimes? Those that aren't right with God, they don't want to hear you. I've gone through all things, kind of things in my life. I always tried the best I can to keep my heart soft, even when it's unfair. <laughs> so you have somebody coming to you and they're totally wrong. <laughs> you know what you can do? Have a soft heart and hear. Yeah, yeah. That's all the Lord is requiring for you to do to get it all settled out. That's very powerful. That's good truth. Amen. Because why is it? Because someone that's guilty and doesn't want to get right, the first thing to do is turn off their ears. That's why Jesus many times said, he who hath ears, let him hear. Hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches in Revelation. Amen. <laughs> so let's hear. Let's hear. So when the preacher's preaching, I talked to someone this week. I said, you know what? I've been preaching. If you just be listening to what I say. If you just listen to what I've said, you wouldn't have done what you did. This is the first, this is the first line in the battle, this pulpit right here. You don't want the second. Amen. <laughs> you want the first. Keep it, keep it right here. <laughs> Sit there, hear, listen. Is it I? Get it right. Then you won't need the second. You won't need to go to the next one. Just go and just listen to the preaching of the word of God. Yeah. I like that better for myself. Amen. You understand what I'm saying here, guys? This is good truth for us. Are you hearing? Are you hearing? It's never about hurting. It's never about destroying. It's always about saving someone and protecting people. Yeah. Yeah. Those two principles. Amen. Let's be accountable as delegates of the Lord. Because we are delegates. We, we very much are delegates. And we have an accounting to give to our Lord. And we have to be ready to give that accounting to God. That's why, folks, I understand this is probably the most unpopular job in this church. Amen, <laughs> right here. <laughs> have you seen that over the years, brother? Yes, yes sir. <laughs> it really is. But you know something? I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just going to keep doing it. You know why? I believe God is real. And I'll believe I'm going to look right in the eyes of Jesus Christ. And you know what I want to do? I want to look at him and know that I've made the right choices for his body. Amen? That's all that matters to me. People come, people go. <laughs> but at the end, 
I give an account. You give an account. Delegation, number three, requires loyalty and diligence. Notice what it says here in this next phrase. And the king should have no damage. And so I thought about that. What's he saying here? Darius delegated to people. Why? Because he didn't want to lose a thing. And when he chose who he was going to put in that position of the first president, he said, Daniel is going to make sure that I don't lose a thing. So why do we delegate? Why why do we get put in positions? Why are we put into ministries? Not so we can just do what we want. Not so we can just say, hey, look at me. I'm a servant of God. (laughs) Amen, even though you are. You do it because you want to make no damage. You're going to be a trustworthy servant of God that you're going to hold it, you're going to protect it, you're going to be loyal, and you're going to be diligent. Amen. When a delegation is made, whether that's in business or in church, etc., the purpose of that delegation is that things do not get dropped between the cracks. I find when I do it all myself, I end up missing things. And so what do you do? You get some people underneath you to do what? To keep things from being missed. No damage. And then when things get bigger and jobs get bigger and and responsibility gets higher and so forth, you get more people so that things don't get dropped through the cracks. For us, it's not so much things as much as people. As much as people. I work hard at that all week long, and I know it's my responsibility, so I try to have meetings, and I try to go out for supper, and try to get people uh, into the church, and talk about baptism, and try to get them to move forward, and it, it's a busy thing, you got to keep it rolling, amen, then there's counseling, and then there's people doing, needing this or that, it's a huge responsibility, but I do that, and I want to do that, and I love that, and I don't do it for the money, amen, I do it so I can look in the eyes of my Savior, And so, the one delegating should not be losing, but should be gaining by your input and by your contribution. If that one delegating is constantly having to double check, and you know, you will always double check, any leader does. Uh, Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. (laughs) You know what that means. That means I trust you, but I'm going to verify it anyways. <laughs> you know, that's just smart. It's just smart. There's a reason that Daniel was a threat. There was probably a, a lining of the pockets that Daniel would not allow. Because he was a follower of God. The king knew Daniel would not skim off the top of the revenue. Very common, especially among tax collectors. The tax collectors, they go gather money from people, and then they add 25, 30% for their own pocket. They'd be the richest men in town. And they'd be built upon the taxes that were supposed to go to Caesar. <laughs> Amen. And they gave them that leniency sometimes to do something like that. And so thinking about this, I remember a while back and I was doing a series through Exodus. And I came across Exodus chapter 18. And Exodus chapter 18 was a, an account of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. 
And I did a, a message through that, and boy, it just taught me some things, you know, because Moses was running ragged here. He had a bunch of uh, belly-aching Israelites that he couldn't keep happy, and it was just too much. He was just losing his mind with all this. So Jethro just says, hey, guess what? You are just taking way too much upon yourself of this. You need some help. And so you need to choose some men to help you, to get underneath you and, and judge the lesser things. And you can take care of the, the bigger things. Amen? Any company does that. The, the owner of the company will always deal with the mergers and the big purchases and so forth. You're not going to let the little guy spend, you know, $20 million. <laughs> you know, you're going to be the one writing that check. But you know what? They can take care of all the supplies that you need. They can take care of all the other things that need to come in so you can continue to go. So delegation is vital. And, and Jethro taught Moses that. But one of the greatest things that we see here in, in this account, I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 18, verse 21. And, and I'll be finished after this. We'll continue next week. But it says, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of the thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. It's called delegation. First thing he says is men that fear God. Decisions are made by principles. Fearing God will stop you from allowing your emotions to control your decisions. Because when I make a decision, now folks, I've been in situations where I knew somebody was wrong, but I also knew that God had a particular way that I need to handle that situation. And so instead of flying off the, off the cuff and, and acting crazy, I humbled myself. Now, I'm not saying I've always done things right. I haven't, you know. But you know what? It goes a long way when you learn to fear God. See, that's what Daniel did. Look at Daniel. You think Daniel knew of corruptness in their government? Of course he did. <laughs> Daniel probably knew more about the Babylonian government than anybody in the whole government. He probably had a keener eye to what was going on than everybody else. So why didn't he run around telling, hey, this guy's doing that, that guy's doing that. He didn't do that. Who was doing it? Who was throwing the accusations out there? The ones that were guilty. The ones that weren't humble. The ones that were full of pride. Do you understand that? Why didn't Daniel do that? He could have gotten in with the king. Hey, king, that guy over there, he's ripping you off. You know what Daniel probably would have rather done? He would have probably rather got involved in that situation and made it impossible for that person to skim off the top and keep the business going. Because he was wise. Amen? Men that fear God. Reminds me of, uh, of David. <laughs> David had the approval of everybody around him to kill Saul. Everybody. His best men said to him, David, there's nobody that would think you did the wrong thing by going killing that rascal because he's been chasing after you, trying to kill you. 
And Dave, in the middle of the night, goes down and, of course, sneakily comes into his camp and takes some belongings of his and even cuts a piece of his skirt. The next morning, Saul gets up and David's on top of the hill saying, Abner, you're doing a pretty lousy job of protecting the king. (laughs) And he holds up Saul's belongings. See, what he was showing him is, I could have, but I didn't. But I'll tell you, it wasn't even just that, because David didn't just say, I could have, and I didn't. After the fact, his heart smote him. And he apologized that he actually did it in the first place. All, everybody around him saying, you can kill him. So he didn't kill him. He just went and took some of his stuff. David did not only kill him, he felt bad about taking one thing off of the body of his king. Now, why is that? Why is David like that? (laughs) Many times he says, I will not lay a hand upon the Lord's anointed. Why did he say that? The Lord's anointed. Had nothing to do with Saul. (laughs) Saul was a rascal. Saul was going to get what's coming to him. Amen? But you know what David did? He feared God. He said, if God put him in that place, I'm not going to lay my hand to him. Even if he looks like the biggest rascal in town. Because God knows how to deal with these situations. You understand that? Folks, that's important for us as the church. You understand that? God will never ask you to topple the leadership of this church. <laughs> He'll never ask you to do that. Yeah. You can pray, say, Lord, our pastor's a scoundrel. <laughs> you know, he's a rascal. <laughs> you can do that, and God may answer. But be careful, because there was a group that did the same thing. The name was Korah. And God says, okay, I'll show you who's in charge. <laughs> Amen. Read the story. (laughs) Read the story. Anyways, fearing God is number one. You want to be used of God in a powerful way, you need to fear God. Daniel feared God. David feared God. I want to fear God. I want to be careful with what God has given me because I'm I'm accountable to him. To him. Not to you. To him. You understand? Men of truth. That's what he said. Jethro said, hey, you need men of truth. Now that's important. (laughs) Because decisions are made upon facts and truth. Not hearsay or partiality towards somebody because I like them more. Amen? Decisions have to be made upon facts. And truth. 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 Don't ever follow something where truth is not known. The Bible tells us here that men that are going to be used of God to to be uh, responsible and to give account and to be what God wants them to be are men of truth, men that will believe the facts and the truth about the situation and will not be caught up in the emotion, in the partiality, or whatever may be going on. Amen? That's fact. That's scripture. I hope you're hearing what the preacher's saying tonight. Amen? The last one is, is hating covetousness. Why is this important? 
<laughs> well, I tell you something. <laughs> if you got something to give, you can become somebody's best friend <laughs> real quick. Like, amen. That's why many times they wouldn't pick the guys that would take bribes. And man, if you're if you're manipulated by someone with money or so forth and, and this and that, I'm sorry. You you can't be a delegate. You can't be a delegate of God. Sometimes I got to preach and I know I'm ringing the bell of everybody that's putting money in the offering. <laughs> and I've had people tell me that. Well, you keep doing it like this and you're not going to get any more money in the offering. Well, I fear God. He's always paid my bills. Amen. He's always paid my bills. Right from the beginning, he showed me. And step number one, we went to Kenora, $1,600 a month. New family, young kids. We thought we had it all figured out. Then we realized we had nothing figured out. And we didn't know what a budget was. <laughs> Amen. We're trying to figure this out as we go along. And yet, we came out of that place on top. There were times we couldn't afford to do things. There were times we, could, we couldn't just do everything everybody wants to do and so forth. And I remember we told you times where we were praying for money so we can go visit family and didn't have enough uh, gas to put in the gas tank to go visit grandma and grandpa. And our kids were saying, oh, I want to see grandpa, I want to see grandpa. I was saying, oh. I remember telling Madeline, was pray for it. Sure enough. Lord laid it upon my heart to give you two hundred dollars. Said the man, I guess we're going to see Grandpa. <laughs> Amen. And we did. We did. God will always take care of us. Amen. But one thing we cannot do is become covetous. That that's not a man that can be used of God in the in the delegation of the Lord. Cannot. Decisions will not be manipulated by personal gain. <laughs> A man that puts money ahead of duty will betray you as Judas did to Jesus Christ. Any man that puts money first is a Judas, is a betrayer. Is it I? <laughs> Good question. Think about that. Daniel, what a powerful chapter this is. I was, as I went through this, the Lord just speaking to my heart and I'm just, wow, this is so good. I hope you're blessed. I mean, is, is this good or not? Yeah. Amen? Okay. One or two of you. <laughs> Amen. It's good. Anyways, we don't have time, but next week I'm going to get into the next section here and talking about Daniel's excellent spirit. You're wondering, why was Daniel so effective? Why was it that God used him? Why is, did God bless him? Man had everything to do with his spirit. Yep. Amen. And so next week we'll look at different aspects of Daniel's spirit. All right? So amen. Let's bow our heads. Give you an opportunity to think about what the Lord has shown you tonight. And I realize in this chapter there's so many things that are pertinent to where, what we're going through as a church right now. Folks, that's no accident. We're going step by step through Daniel. Last week we talked about the writing on the wall. This week we're talking about the excellent spirit delegation. We're talking about what it takes to be used of God. Are you hearing? I think God's working here. I believe he's doing something here in this church. And I believe that he's calling out to men and women and saying, hey, can I use you?
Can I use you? But it takes men and women of truth. It takes people that fear the Lord. You'll put the Lord in front of everything. 